Welcome to Art of the Score, the podcast that explores, demystifies and celebrates some of the greatest soundtracks of all time from the world of film, TV and video games. I'm Andrew Poxon, and in each episode we'll be joined by Daniel Golding and Nicholas Buck as we check out a soundtrack we love, break down its main themes, explore what makes the score tick and hopefully impart our love of the world of soundtracks. Between the time when the oceans drank Atlantis and the rise of the sons of Arius, there was a podcast undreamed of. And unto this, Conan, destined to bear the jeweled crown of Aquilonia upon a troubled brow. It is I, Andrew, his chronicler, who alone, uh, with two others, can tell thee of his saga. Let me tell you of the days of epic score writing. In episode 22, we conquer a score from the classic 1982 sword and sorcery film Conan the Barbarian, written and directed by John Milius and starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and James Earl Jones, with a suitably epic score by Greek-American composer Basil Polidorus. Conan the Barbarian is still widely considered a classic in the fantasy genre, and even more so when considering Polidorus's grand and stirring score. And joining me on this high adventure through the Hyborian Age is composer, arranger, orchestrator, conductor, and property manager of the Wheel of Pain. It's Nicholas Buck. How are you doing, Nick? <laughs> well, it's, look, it's a ruthless job, but someone's got to do it. Because, I mean, really, Andrew, what is best in life, if not <laughs> to crush your enemies? Yes. See them driven before you? Yes. And, of course, hear the lamentation of their women. <laughs> My God! <laughs> no, look, this is um, such a fantastic score. I would go and say it is probably in my top ten all-time favourite scores. Um, has it was written in the year I was born, 1982, so it has a really special place in my heart, and uh, can't wait to dissect it. Nick, you're so young. Speaking of someone younger. Having returned from a short stint interning with Tulsa Doom is writer, critic, composer, university lecturer, and champion camel boxer. Nice one. It's Dan Golding. How are you doing, Dan? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing the, the lamentations of our podcasters, actually. But <laughs> that, that camel boxing scene is quite something, isn't it? The, it is. the, the, the camel punch. I'm told he didn't actually punch a camel, which is yeah. a relief. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's really it's it, a standout moment. It is. It? I yeah. mean, is it the... Uh, no, there are multiple comedic moments. Mm. It's definitely one of the... Uh, I laughed out loud. <laughs> uh, a, a little bit of a uh, behind-the-scenes story... Nick and I went on a, a nice little date the other night to the Astor, uh, which is, a, I guess, a, a retro cinema. And uh, by pure coincidence, it was showing uh, Conan the Barbarian a few days before we had planned to record this podcast. And 
uh, yeah, we went along and I, I had forgotten about that camel punching scene and I just <laughs> laughed out loud. And yeah, uh, yeah anyway, just hilarious. It's, <laughs> it's quite something, isn't it? Yeah. Um, anyway, look, no, I agree with Nick. I think the film is um, an interesting relic of its era at this point. I think perhaps there isn't quite nostalgia. I mean, the recent failed uh, reboot of, of the Conan series, well, recent, I think it's about five or six years ago now, uh, illustrates that there perhaps isn't the same appetite for, for this franchise as there is with others, but the score is just fantastic and I think has really outlived the the, the film. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I agree with you, Nick, is that uh, I honestly think that the, the film has, it's still super fun. <laughs> it's problematic in today's age. It is. However, the score is ridiculously good. Yeah. For, for someone, I don't think many people would be saying Basil Polidurus is up there with, you know, everyone else. But, man, this score is so great and the amount of heavy lifting it does in this it film. It carries the entire film, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. I think we were saying that during the screening, just like how how little dialogue there is in this film yeah. and how much, yeah, heavy lifting is the right word mm-hmm. um, it has to do to carry the picture. Yeah. But it, it sells Arnie's acting, which is pretty <laughs> bad. And, I th- and I, you know, you read about how much they cut out of yeah. his bad acting. Yeah. So all you're left with is sort of stares and grunts and groans. Yep. But the music, like, it makes you love him, makes you feel for him, makes yeah. you care for him. His relationships, um, his journey—it's I'm, I'm sold yeah. because of the music. Mm. You know? I mean, Dan, here's a question for you: Do you think mm. that Arnold Arnie, at this stage in his career, Arnie. first movie, yeah, uh, is actually a secret genius actor because <laughs> he is able to achieve so much without talking? Yeah, without talking. No, uh, look, absolutely. I mean, it's remarkable how little dialogue there is in this film. Mm. It just it goes. 10-minute stretches without anything really meaningfully said. Yeah. I mean, especially the introduction. It's, it's such yeah. a long period. Narrator aside, mm. um, there's there's basically nothing there. And, and the story goes because not only Schwarzenegger was a newcomer, but um, actually the two other kind of heroes, um, Jerry Lopez, who played Subatai, yes, and Sandal Bergman, who played Valeria, were both basically novices, never yeah. really acted before. Um, Lopez was a surfer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and Bergman was a – she'd been in a few films but as a dancer mainly mm. rather than an actor. And so, you know, you've got these three heroes who are sort of like all pretty new to even being in front of a camera mm. uh, and they put them against the, – the idea was that they put them against James L. Jones and Max von Sydow who's in, you know, in, in the film sporadically as kind of these much more experienced like incredibly talented actors mm. that would maybe inspire them and – Maybe that worked to some degree, but it is, I mean, gosh, you see that one scene with Max von Sydow when he asks them to go get his daughter and it's delivered with more emotion yeah. than practically, and it's like what, half a line yeah. and it's like, wow, he's really, he's really feeling it. And it's like, well, maybe it's just in comparison to the other, maybe, the yeah. other actors who are sort of, well, look, pretty new to this. But yeah, Schwarzenegger, I mean, has made a career out of playing roles that allow him to play up his... Um, Physique? Yes. Beefcake nature. Immobility of his face (laughs) to some degree. I mean, you know, the Terminator series uh, well plays on his um, strange inability to smile. Mm. Um, (laughs) Predator. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you guys know that in this film I read that uh, James Earl Jones gave Schwarzenegger some sort of acting tips and Mm. like, you know, how to read his lines of dialogue 
in exchange for workout tips. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, obviously, it worked for both of them. Yeah. So you're totally right. It's, it's Schwarzenegger's breakthrough film. Uh, yeah. And, you know, he was sort of, you know, a popular bodybuilder. He'd done Pumping Iron. Yes. His excellent pseudo-realist documentary thing. Um, it was either on Netflix or Hulu, one yeah. or the other, because I watched it recently. And it's unbelievably fascinating and disturbing <laughs> yeah. and sort of gross, but then mesmerizing. Yeah. I I mean, you can tell when he's just being himself. Yeah. So he's not trying to play another character. Yeah. You can tell why he became as popular as he did. There is mm. there is a charisma there. Oh, a hundred percent. And I mean there's a crazy narcissism as well. Mm. But there mm. is a charisma. Like mm. when he talks and he's giving it to a lot of these other um uh, you know bodybuilders around him mm. and really getting into their heads and the amount of He's been unbelievably disrespectful, but delivering it in ways where everyone's just going, oh, you're so charming, <laughs> yeah, Arnold. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's amazing. And, and I mean, you know, that charm translated in, into this film uh, and then with the film, you know, carried on for the rest of his career when he was running for uh, governor of California, uh, the press nicknamed him Conan the Republican, uh, which, is, <laughs> which, which is a nickname that, that still sort of pops up even, even now and then uh, today. So, you know, it's very much... Uh, I think you know all tied up in this moment for for the for the birth of Schwarzenegger in popular culture, mm. but the other figure that we haven't really talked about here uh, is uh, John Milius, yes, who's the writer and director of this film, uh, and he's an interesting guy. He actually went to school with Basil Polidurus, who's the the, the composer we're going to be talking a lot about today. But he also went to school with um, George Lucas, and by school I mean. Um, University, uh, university College, yeah, yeah, mm. um, UCLA. Uh, was it UCLA? Was it um, USC? USC. USC. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, studying uh, film and uh, in Basil Polidurus's case, film and music. But John Milius is, um, you know, he wrote uh, Apocalypse Now, the screenplay for that. Did he? Mm. Oh. He also wrote uh, Dirty Harry uh, and I think Did a few sequel, sequels. <laughs> yeah. So he was sort of much much more known as a, as a screenwriter, writer, yeah. Um, he, he directed some films. Conan is his most famous. Red Dawn was this controversial sort of American invasion film that um, probably killed his, his directing career a little bit. But, you know, he, he has had quite a lot of success. I would say his style is um, machismo. Uh, there's, this, <laughs> there's this amazing uh, behind-the-scenes interview with Milius uh, about Dirty Harry where he talks about refusing to write the film until the studio sent him the gun. He's like, you send me the gun and I can write this character. <laughs> um, you know, the Magnum 44, it can blow your head clean off and all that. You know, like I think Conan is machismo in two hours and ten minutes. Like yeah. that's that's what this film is basically. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, but I mean, you know, it sort of comes out of, uh, well, of course, the the, the comic books from the thirties. Yeah. Yep. Well, the 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 pulp novels and then which yeah. were then turned into comic books. Sorry, yeah. Um, mm. and yeah, but I I don't think they were super well known. I mean, no. it's not like they were the Marvel you know ones. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but it certainly, um, yeah. I, and I also think there was a there was a little bit of a time where was it Oliver Stone who wrote yes. a screenplay? Yeah, I read, yeah. Right. Did like yeah. the initial draft and sort of got shopped around Hollywood and people get passing it around yeah. and around. And, and his it... one was like super in the future. Yeah. So in the future that it's the past. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. a dystopian future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's like mutants and other things. I mean, it would have been amazing seeing an Oliver Stone Conan. But, uh, um, I mean, yeah. Like, I mean, he was famous. at the t He was like a notable screenwriter because he'd done uh, Midnight Express. 
um, and he was, you know, about to go on to find much more celebrity with um, with Scarface, and then eventually platoon in his own directing career. Yeah. But um, yeah, he was he was definitely pretty famous at this point. Yeah. Mm. Because um, um, Arnie talks about the fact that he was being courted by yeah. the the studio and the producers for years and years, like mm. five years or something. Mm. So I mean, these scripts were sort of getting shopped around and and edited and re-edited and bought by people, and it was initially being shopped around by somebody, and mm. then they just gave up, mm. and then it was eventually bought from them for some stupid amount of money. Um, by the the guys who ended up producing it, mm. um, they made their money back in the end because it ended up being a, a really big hit. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't Star Wars big, mm. um, but it was a lot bigger than all the other films that followed in the mm. wake of Star Wars. I mean, and this, you know, even though people were trying to get Conan produced since the early seventies, predating Star Wars, it nonetheless follows. I think you know that sort of morality, black and white adventure tale in a fantasy universe yeah. um, sort of thing. Um, James L. Jones. Yeah, yeah. He mentions, I can be your father. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he does. That's yeah. disturbing, isn't it? When, yeah. that, when he says that line, I'm yeah. like, oh, God, because it's only yeah. a couple of years before he's done the whole... Um, Empire's Luke, right, Yeah, Empire yeah. thing. Yeah. So That's right. Yeah, pretty funny. But um, it's it's um, it's Dino De Laurentiis who's the producer, ah, there um, it is. I think, yeah. and he's an interesting character. He's Italian and he played a huge role in getting, uh, you know, even Italian neorealism, Fellini, you know, these mm. art house directors um, to... The the world stage uh, and yet uh, in America at least was the, the the overseer of a lot of I don't know whether you'd quite call Conan B grade but certainly you know it's not art house no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know that's sort of really a lot of the stuff that he did in America so it's you know it's a, a sort of an interesting interesting mix for him but he's another hugely influential film person and of course we move to the composer Polidorus and he was asked by uh, Milius, can you write a score? So he wrote this really early on in the process, mm. as far as I've, I've read. Um, there wasn't a cut, no, no um, principal photography hadn't even started. And he was asked to essentially write a Conan opera. Yeah. And uh, I maybe maybe it's one of those things where he started receiving music, and while they were tidying up the script, it was that idea of the the gun. You know, yeah, yeah. I want to start hearing the music, and yeah. as a result, you have a very, I guess, Wagnerian, very um, sort of grand opera score to it, mm. and then you have a screenplay that sort of feels operatic in that there is a lot of music and there's not a lot of talking and, mm. and so on. Mm. Um, so you know, I, I know that obviously it, it's moved on, you know, from that initial idea they had mm. uh, and in fact even if you take a, a, a bigger step back I think they initially wanted a pop score <laughs> um, which worked really great in June yeah. surprisingly <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. I think they were thinking down the same lines and um, mm. you know thankfully they ended up going back to the sort of full orchestral thing and uh, I can yeah. see a version of this film with Toto like you know, <laughs> uh, you know, Conan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, they. I mean, they did such great work on um, on June. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it would have been a different film. And I have a I have a a personal connection to this film because as a young boy. Uh, learning saxophone, uh, I, you know, I've, I think I've said this before in the podcast, really into film music. And the first piece of film music I ever tried to transcribe. Mm. So that my version of transcribing was, you know, listening to the VHS. So I mm. probably recorded it at this point off TV. <laughs> and I loved the music in this film. And 
I sat down with my saxophone and worked it out. I didn't know how to write music. Huh. I just wrote down letters. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, it was mostly that opening sequence mm. and uh, mostly what we'll talk about soon um, being Conan's theme is the... the mm. yeah. uh, so and that was really hard for me to play yeah. back in those days. It's not so, a straightforward melody. No, I yeah. practiced it. On and you know, over and over and over again to the point where the opening of the film was like all fuzzy, you know, on the VHS because I was just <laughs> oh, yeah. constantly pausing rewinding and rewinding it. and yeah, you know, wow. all that whole thing. Wow. So, anyway, so this, this sort of near and dear to my heart, this particular one. And like I said, the film, you know, if you haven't seen it, you really got to go check it out. There's actually a lot of fun. I think there is, you know, it's now been surpassed certainly by things like Lord of the Rings yeah. and, and so on in terms of fantasy genre. Yeah, but it was the, it was the bar for fantasy. Yeah, for yeah. and I, I see even decades. like big traveling sequences, you know, on horseback yeah. with rotating vistas and music soaring. Like you can see the blueprint, yeah. you know, for films like Lord of the Rings. And yeah. it's, of course, carrying the tradition on from earlier sword and sorcery things yeah. like, you know, mm. Ben-Hur's and your Sids and all those kind of films. I mean, I when I think about prior to Lord of the Rings, because that was definitely a watershed moment for mm. fantasy, of course. Mm. Um, prior to that, the only two films that I think were, or the, the films that were my favourite fantasy films was... Conan the Barbarian, believe it or not, Conan the Destroyer, yeah, right. which is a horrible film, but for a mm. young guy, it's lots of action, lots of sure. things you want. You know, it's yeah. got Grace Jones in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> fierce Grace Jones. She's great. She's great in it. Uh, and um, Willow, I oh, reckon. Oh, of course. God, yeah. I love that film. Any other, mm. I mean, I know there are others, of course there were, mm. um, but those were the two. Those were the two fantasy films that I loved, which meant that when Lord of the Rings comes along, you know, mm. like 20 years later, I mean, my mind mm. blew up. You know, because you go from that to can, that, you know. Can I just jump in here and say, listeners, we know that you want a Lord of the Rings episode <laughs> and we'll get there eventually. We're just all a bit scared of it, I think. It's, it's so long. There's so much music. But we'll you, get there. You know why? I mean, it's probably because they're, I mean, this podcast format is almost written for, yeah, it is. for Lord of the Rings, you know. So, yeah, we'd, we'd do four episodes just on the fellowship. Yeah. And then we'd be compelled to move on to the we, two towers. It would take us a year. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we, we, do, we do know you're asking for it. And actually, speaking of our listeners, perhaps now's a, a great time to uh, sort of point out that if you haven't liked and subscribed and do that whole thing, then you should definitely do that. If there's somebody you know who's a fan of Conan or perhaps a fan of, uh, you know, uh, film music or just fantasy, then, uh, you know, forward them through this podcast and hopefully they'll enjoy it as well. And um, big news, Nick, in the podcast world, oh. for Out of the Score, we're on Stitcher. What? <laughs> That's the Stitcher theme song. Uh, so, uh, yeah, no, there, a, a whole bunch of you had been asking uh, for Stitcher and so we finally pulled our finger out and now we are on Stitcher. So that's exciting. It's very exciting. What do we get when we're on Stitcher? Uh, Stitchers? More, more yeah. Uh, <laughs> greater exposure to our, our Android friends and other, yes. yeah, other, other people who yeah, don't exclusively listen to Apple things. So if you're yeah. listening to this on Stitcher, welcome. Yes. Yeah. Now, shall we move on? Mm-hmm. Let's get to some music. Get some yeah. music. Yep. Yeah. What, where are we going to start? So, I mean, very briefly, Basil Polidurus, like Dan said, actually, yeah, began his university studying film, like film directing. Mm. Um, and I think just had a change of heart or was sort of maybe he thought he wasn't good enough to compete with all those 
epic names you mentioned before. Yeah. But yeah, turned to composing and look, has done some some pretty big films in his career. Think of things, you know, apart from Conan, um, Robocop, The Hunt for Red October is probably one of his other Another great classic, scores. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's got that fantastic Russian chorus. Mm. Um, Starship Troopers. Mm. Yeah. Um, Gee, that's and great we song. actually <laughs> mentioned him and played some of his music on our Dances with Wolves episode when he... Um, Almost got the gig for that. And actually, mm-hmm. his close relationship with John Milius kind of resulted in him not doing Dances with Wolves. Mm. And uh, I mean, imagine where his career might have gone, possibly even even further through the stratosphere yeah. if he'd done that. Um, but look, musically, Conan, they talked about the fact that this film was set something like 10,000 years before recorded history or something yeah. really, you know, <laughs> obviously really old. Mm. And when discussing a musical approach, well, obviously it's the be kind of little music back then. Mm. Um, and what they settled on was, wasn't really a historical approach in any kind of way, um, but really is born out of that sort of romanticised sword and sorcery kind of genre, which, again, plays out of those 50s, 60s epics like Ben-Hur and stuff. Mm-hmm. So musically, you, you, know, you get lots of open intervals, you know, fourths and fifths. you know, just really basic tones like that that I'm playing, you hear a lot of that kind of underpinning in the Conan score. Kind of, you know, sprinkled with this dose of of fairly fairly romantic stuff and almost an operatic Wagnerian style mm. of sort of, um, yeah, you know, definitely. the chorus, the choir features quite heavily in this mm. score. Um, and which you could sort of take as a faux Gregorian sort of uh, choir. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in that, you know, it sort of um, sounds, you know, very much like church music, mm. old uh, medieval. Medieval, that's, you know, yeah. uh, For want of a better term. Um, you know, it's obviously not, if you actually played music from that time, it doesn't really sound like that. But it's mm. it's probably what an audience would associate with really old stuff. Yeah. Um, and I, I did read a, a bunch of interviews where uh, he was – you know, talking about the fact that they did spend a long time trying to work out where are we going to place this musically. And it's quite obvious that I think they just ended up settling because I think it was a bit of settling because I think they tried the the idea of doing something really weird Mm. with it and really, you know, lots of caveman-esque sort of, you know, (laughs) percussion and so on. And in the end they said, no, it sort of needs to feel like the way people expect it to sound which mm. is sort of medieval sort of you know uh romantic sort of wagnerian sort of all these things yeah and and that's certainly what we end up with yeah and look i think the main title is such a great example of how it starts um just like our podcast with this sort of fairly sparse little light percussion bangs and almost like a little drone whilst the narrator played by mako intones his little narration of the top and then it just sort of launches into this literally sense of high adventure but the melody that comes out we're going to call it the crom theme crom being um i guess almost like the god well yeah, yeah the it's god like of the, the god people. of conan's people conan's yeah. God. yeah and we yeah. must say this film is set in the uh, fictional hyborian age mm. whenever that is so you know you could argue that maybe this theme represents that age the, or the the grounded security of that age whatever it is because really there is no there's not a lot of harmonic change in the beginning part of this melody and i'll just play it just so we know what we're all talking about
Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing that I think of when I, I hear that is just the strange uh, rhythm that yeah. is going on. Mm. You can't exactly dance to it. <laughs> if you try and dance to it, Nick, you'd, you'd hurt yourself. <laughs> uh, it's in a, in a really strange um, time signature and it's a strange number of beats. It's not the classic sort of four beats in the bar that so much of sort of rock and pop and, and even film score music is in. And for the longest time, I'd never bothered really working out what it was. Mm. Uh, but in the lead up to this, I sort of sat down and I thought, okay, well, it's, you know, because we, at this, at this point, I didn't have a score. And let's try and work this thing out. And what there is, is a very strong quaver pulse. So what I mean by that is, is just a da 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 That's just groups of three. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And with a lot of music that has strange time signatures, that's not 4-4, four, four, they are often grouped in threes and twos. So I guess you can think of 4-4 four, four being groups of two mm. as a nice way of, of thinking of that. Or you can think of waltzes being groups of three. This has groups of three and two put in together. And it gives you a very out-of-kilter sort of feel. It, mm. it doesn't feel like it's grounded. It feels like it's sort of skipping forward and then pulling back and it's sort of it's jerky. Mm. And in so many ways, and it's, and it's helped by the fact that these anvils, real anvils yeah. in yeah. the orchestra are being hit at the beginning of each bar and you actually get a, you know, if you think of a, a blacksmith mm. making a sword mm. and he's going tink, 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 Tink. That's such a weak anvil. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he's not know, going to be doing it in time. In time, yeah. And this actually gives you that feel of things not being in time. Mm. And, and to be honest, it also gives you a feel that it's a little more primal. Mm. Yeah. If it was ordered and March-like, you know, in four, then it would feel a little more like it's something that we're familiar with. Mm. Um, so to talk about the actual time signature, Nick. Yeah, so look, what I'm going to do, I'm going to play this piece again, but what I've done is I've sort of superimposed a fairly heavy kind of bass kick drum where all these groups of threes, twos, twos, and threes, so on fall. And the pattern basically goes three, two, 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 three. Yep. Right? That's like one bar and then three, two, two, three. Yep. So the first one is longer than the second. Um, if I'm blowing your heads off with confusion here, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> what we're trying to say is that it really is, there's no rhythmicality about it in terms of kind of dancing to it, like you said. Mm. So it feels a bit kind of off and it pushes and pulls and every bar has a different timing signature. So have a listen to this kick drum kind of playing over the top and you really feel how, where those pushes happened. With that version, it's almost like you've created the sort of modern-day blockbuster version of the same track. <laughs> it's, it's like it's the, 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 the Zimmer version. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Crom's nightclub. Yeah, yeah. And, look, and look, if I if I just play that that beat by itself, um, yeah, you can you can hear that it's. You know, it's like someone's got arrhythmia or something. Yeah. It's, it's not. Yeah. It's, it's it really. 
Um, it's hard to, to tap can along to. Can you count that over the top? I, well, I can, do you want me to count? I can well, count no, over the top. Well, here, here's what I've done. Instead, oh, you've already done it, Nick. Is that okay. I've now put a really regular time beat. So just ah. basically one, two, three, four, one, two, ah, three, four. Right, yes. And what you kind of end up hearing is how the steady beat that I've artificially put in really plays against the syncopation of the anvils. So it's it almost becomes like a dubstep version, but it's <laughs> um, don't worry about the kind of the techno aspect of it. Just feel the push and pull between the steady beat that I've artificially put in and the actual track. <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's that's the the soundtrack for the uh, cut rave scene, a la Matrix. Uh, oh yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So of course, you know, I, I got to be bored. I, I, I of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! But no, look, look, no, I'm, I'm being silly here. <laughs> but look, you can actually hear, you know, where those subdivisions fall. So if mm. I just played those those, you know, without the actual piece. Uh, that feels like a weird dance beat, but if I change the beat out for the syncopated one, you really hear the subdivisions that he has in the music. You know, and that's that's mm. kind of the the internal workings of the rhythm that's going on here. Yeah. So like right. it's it's very interesting. It's yeah. very interesting. Do you want me to count this for you, Dan? Uh, I'd love to. Because we're talking about the be, threes and yeah. twos. And yeah. so maybe this um, you know, if it's still I mean, I think this has been great. Hmm. Wait, Nick didn't tell us he was gonna play no, this, and I'm, I'm wildly entertained yeah. at this point. <laughs> um, but yeah, let, let me count it up. Can you just put without the beats, no beats that you've got just, in there, just, just the, the actual thing, and okay. I'll count up the um, uh, quavers for you. Okay, here we go. One two three. One two. One two. One two. One two three. One two three. One two. One two. One two three. One two three. One two. One two. One two. One two three. One two three. One two. One two. One two three. One two three. One two. One two. One two. One two three. One two three. One two. One two. Etc. Good. Mike test is over. One. One two. One two. One two three. I mean, it's it's fascinating because I mean, as well, like actually, the the overall effect that I'm reminded of is, and I I can't think of the actual themes title off the top of my head, but the five. Five four rhythm from Lord of the Rings, which mm. is the same like uh, yeah. one two three four five one two three four five It's a similar idea. Yeah, yeah. definitely. It's this is just more complicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn you, Basil. <laughs> <laughs> but look, yeah, it really has a great sense of adventure, you know, and mm. it's it's really it's kind of groovy. Yeah. In that way. Um, well, I only want to listen to the um, the dubstep one now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But anyway, uh, it's it's a great theme. It, it is a great theme, and look, you know, we've only talked about the rhythm, the actual melody there, which is reportedly performed on twenty four French horns. What? I don't believe 24. it. Twenty four. 
Um, and we must say, um, for people that don't know, this score was actually recorded not in Hollywood, but in Rome, mm. um, orchestra and choir in Rome. And some of the examples we're playing tonight um, are from the original recording. Others are from a fantastic release that was released in 2010 on the Prometheus label, um, played by the City of Prague Philharmonic, who really, if you haven't got this album, because the original is quite hard to find. Yeah. Um, mm. You know, we, we have got it here, but the re-recording is fantastic because mm. the sound quality of the original is a bit rough around the edges. It's not a slick, pristine Hollywood recording. Uh, at times, mm. it's bad. At times, yeah. Other times, it's fine. But, but you know, look, the roughness moments. kind of suits. Well, that's true. It suits Arnie, yeah. <laughs> you know, in, in some ways. And so we're going to kind of chop and change. But, but look, yeah, the melody is really what we're going to call the Crom theme or, or the Hyborian Age theme. Mm. And it's probably the most used theme in this whole piece. And the melody, you know, it's kind of this thing. Right, now they've sort of sped it up a little bit from how it's performed here, but you get the actual shape. And the way I've just played it then, which is more sort of melodic, simplified, condensed version, is actually how you hear it in most of this film. So this drawn-out version we have on 24 French horns in the opening titles is kind of like a bit of a teaser for us. Yeah. And interestingly, it sounds a lot like... Jerry Goldsmith's music for Total Recall. It does. Uh, which was written maybe 10 years later. I think it was mm. early 90s, Total Recall. Yeah. And look, I mean, this could be a bit of uh, temp track love. Who knows? But I, I think actually the answer is yes, it is was. Yes, it yeah. was so look, I'll, I'll play you a bit of Total Recall going into Conan and you'll really hear, um, especially in the rhythmic sort of you know vibe and the melody, the similarities. And what Total Recall doesn't have is our rhythmic complexity of all the mm. threes and twos. It's just the sound of Schwarzenegger, you know. Just he, he walks on oh, yeah. screen. I and just realized, yeah, it's, all, no, it's also a Schwarzenegger both. film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like Arnie's theme. Maybe. Yeah, it is yeah. like Arnie's theme. Yeah. Um, but look, I'll play now when you know the main titles are done, and we'll come to Conan's theme because this is not Conan's theme as such. Um, we'll come to his more personal theme in a second, but I want to show you how this crumb theme is sort of developed through the film and actually becomes a bit more melodic. So the film opens after the main title with a sort of shot of snowy mountains and it cuts to basically Conan's father delivering what they call the riddle of steel um, to the young blank-stared Conan who kind of looks up <laughs> at his father.
So we've gone from 24 French horns to one solitary lonely oboe and you couldn't mm. get a, a more marked contrast. Uh, look, I think you know you, the casual listener would probably miss that they're even the same theme yeah. mm. um, and it's sort of hidden under the father's dialogue but it's, it's a really beautiful kind of presentation of it. We do often get it on brass. You know, these are just before Conan's father gets killed and eaten by the dogs and stabbed in, in that horrific, gory, bloody opening scene. His last kind of hurrah of trying to save his village um, has a pretty powerful performance of this crom theme on brass. Interestingly, the horns almost do like a sort of augmented version of it at the end that sort of takes off as, as the dogs are eating him yeah, and stuff. Yeah. But it gets more more heroic as it kind of progresses through the film and we get that great scene where um, of the Wheel of Pain where Arnie kind of grows mm. from a little boy to a man. But mm. as we kind of he gets revealed at the end of this sequence, it's a much more sort of laboured but really kind of triumphant version of, of the theme. And to me, the, the, the really crucial part of this melody is the... Um, it's that sort of that little da-da-da-da-da sort of angular mm. little bit there towards the end. And when um, we sort of get almost a bit of development of just that kind of little passage in a cue called Atlantean Sword, I think where Conan's in the cave and he sees that old kind of relic of a king there. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Um, Which I often thought to myself, how did that king die sitting on the throne? <laughs> We just sat there and it's like, no, I'm dead. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. It's yeah. weird. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> it looks good though. Yeah. yeah. No, it does. Yeah. Absolutely. And look, I mean, look, talking of kings, you know, this is a, a classic example of where using more open fifth harmonies, you yeah. know. Kind of stuff which sounds like you know Domino Deus, like you know yeah. Gregorian chant style mm. stuff. Yeah. You'll hear it in this cue. It's sort of almost speaking of an age older than Conan is. So yeah. it's it's using that I guess coding of the open fifths to sort of you know impart an old world kind of kind of flavor in the music. Yes. I mean, I think the and like already you can hear that in this soundtrack. There's such a richness in the orchestration as well. Like even just in that last phrase, the beautiful use of the brass and the tuba to just yeah. complement and add, you know, musical depth and, and sonic depth to the music is incredible. I think. Yeah. Now I don't know about you guys, but when I think of Conan, I actually don't really think of this theme I've been playing. Um, I was saying to you when we were um, chatting through this episode earlier that. I often mistake 
Conan's theme for Crom's theme yeah. because so often Crom's theme is playing when something when Conan does something. Mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but it's not you know that. Well, look, I, I have a theory for why that is, which we can we can get to later. Yeah, great. I love um, theories. You love theories. No, Dan loves theories. Yeah. <laughs> we hate him because he always loves theories so much. He loves thinking of new theories. Yeah. yeah. We, we have a thinking of Conan theme. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's because it. Yeah. Anyways. Yes. Yeah. Do you know I got an email the other day from a listener who you have to. We're referring our. First First episode on Raiders of the Lost Ark where mm. Dan said it wasn't Marion's theme, yeah. but I was thinking of Marion's theme. Yeah. And the email was like, oh my God, yes, I always, that, that's perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, well, it is. Because yeah. it's, yeah, because Dan, you were 100% yeah. correct. I'm behind you on that. Yeah. yeah. John Williams and everyone else is, is wrong. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but look, yeah, the second half of the main titles, which we haven't played yet, is what really is Conan's theme. And I guess, you know, Conan's personal theme. And it's much more romantic. The harmony moves a lot more. And um, it's not on 24 French horns. It's probably on 24 violins. Violins, yeah. To that counter melodic writing, yeah, what, great, what on earth? Yeah, <laughs> and and what I like about that particular theme. So this this is born out of that original Crom's theme from the opening uh, prologue, and you've got that one two three one two one two one two three ba 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 that sort of mm. thing, and they metrically modulate. From that, they take that those quavers, mm. and they keep the quavers going. And they turn it into a proper four-four yeah. uh, melody, but they keep the quavers going. But it's all hidden because it's a big romantic melody. So, right. yeah, it's we were talking about how things are sort of primal and out of step and sort of weird, and it's not the four-four melody. But Conan is the four-four melody. He's a human, mm. yeah. and he's more ordered. He's more structured. You know, he's more disciplined, mm. and it comes into four-four. It is romantic, sure, but it's it doesn't feel like it's skipping ahead or uneasy mm. or, or whatever. And then it just bursts straight back into the crom theme with yeah, the anvils the and the and the so on. But that that uh, quaver bup, 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 doesn't change yeah. throughout all of it, which is yeah. uh, really cool. I was just going to say, sorry, this is a slight return to a bit that we've already covered, but on the 24 French horns. <laughs> We're back to those. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, just like I think to, to hammer home the unlikeliness of this orchestration. I mean, so Torn Curtain, the last score that Bernard Herrmann wrote for Alfred Hitchcock, yes. uses 16 French horns, yep. which is also ridiculous. Absurd. Also ridiculous, yes. <laughs> and Andrew, you at the MSO, you, you did an excerpt of Torn Curtain. Yes, you, we did. You, you, you did not have 16 French no, horns. No, because I don't think 16 French horn players exist in Australia. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not at the professional level. Um, no, I think we used six or maybe eight. Yeah. Maybe eight. Right. Um, but it was certainly no more than that. So 24 would be... Would be impossible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is It is possible that they just grabbed everybody right. in Rome. You know. who, who, who plays horn? Come yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you play trumpet? I'll give you a French horn. Yeah. But look, I mean, Andrew, we were talking about this the other day. The recording we're playing right now is the re-recording. Mm. The original, um, it's actually a bit out of time. Oh, like totally the horns. Huh? I mean, it's like 
it's like 24 people trying to have a different interpretation of where the downbeat is. Yeah. And they don't quite nail it. No, no, <laughs> so no. you kind of get this. Sort of actually helps, to be perfectly honest, the, the, the silver lining of mm. that, of the fact that there's obviously piles of players who are just not nailing it. Mm. They're not doing well. <laughs> but what it helps to do is it, it helps to juxtapose against the, the driving sort of quaver pulse. Mm. And then you've got this very stretchy, very uncertain, um, you know, French horns over the top that are just mm. making it feel like they're sort of working against each other and making it sort of push and pull against each yeah. other. So, the, mm. in fact, the effect is actually quite cool. Mm. Yeah. But I don't think it's intentional no. at all. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry for that tension. I just no, thought it would be interesting yeah. to reinforce the unlikeliness of this orchestration. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Nick. Um, but look, I mean, harmonically, Conan's theme is much different because the Crom theme, you know, has basically... Um, just this constant G pedal and it doesn't move, you know, uh, the melody moves above it but the bass doesn't change from the G. Then you get rich harmony. You know, et cetera, et cetera. It's really, it's really flowing. It's, mm. it's There's a rich kind of... And we, I think we'll probably talk lots about how the fact that that first chord is the sixth, you know, is the sixth of the chord. And sixth, we've always talked about in this podcast, has mm. been like the romantic interval. Yeah, John and Williams it, loves the sixth. Yeah, and going from a, you know, a one chord down to a six chord is a real richness to it. And especially that rising up, you know, whatever key you do it in. It's, it has that real kind of lift. Mm. And actually, this theme reminds me of um, another historical epic from a few years later um, called Braveheart. Oh, yeah. um, so what I've actually transplanted our Conan theme into the same key mm. as Braveheart and do a little back-to-back -back here. I'll kind of go from Conan into Braveheart and back out. But you'll hear, really, it's, it's this major key lift going chord six, chord seven, and up to chord one. It's identical and really the backbone of both of both melodies. Back to Conan. It really, it really stirs something in my soul, Nick. <laughs> I hear that and I'm like, oh, that's so lovely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those, that Braveheart melody is so great as well. Yeah. I, you know, it's just there must be something human about those chords that you're just like, ah, I'm hmm. sort of, you know, I'm stirred. I'm yeah. stirred. Rather than feeling romantic, I'm, I'm, I'm you're stirred. Yeah, I feel like yeah. I need to get out of this chair and like do something with my life. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's noble. It, it has sort of, it has purpose, it has direction and it returns to home. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think the minor chord helps too. Yeah. It's not yeah. quite the same when I do no, that. No, It's like, yeah. 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 It's, I don't know what yeah, it is. It's like, no, it's like lifting up and achieving something bittersweet and melancholy. 
because of the minor. Because when it lifts up to the major, it's like it's almost like da da da, like here the curtains being lifted back. It's where we're starting our show for today, children, yeah. like that mm. sort of thing. Whereas with the minor, it's yeah, it's almost like mm. yeah, you're striving but never quite making it. Yeah, and I think mm. you, you mentioned yes, yeah, once you make you get out of your chair and achieve something. Mm. I think for Conan, to me, the difference between these this crom melody. And the Conan one is that to me, it's like the Chrome melody is. Um, I think of it like like it's Conan's destiny. It's like it's like the language of of his home of of the world that he's in, but he kind of has no control over it. You know, things have happened in his life, as we'll soon discover. His parents get murdered. That sort of sets him on the path of revenge. But it's almost like that. That's what he has to do. But the the personal Conan theme is like, um, and you hear it in the film more. Over his like personal things, like his his romance mm. and his friendship and stuff, it's almost like that's what he he wants to do. It's his own little journey. It's not the one that sort of destiny is sort of pushing him into, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. through revenge. And it's the, the sort of battle between the two, which is really interesting. Um, but look, we first hear it in within the film again. Basil Podolidurus loves oboes and choranglays. He's loved these double reed instruments, um, you know, as opposed to flutes and, and clarinets. Um, I wonder if maybe they just sound older. They do, yeah. yeah. That sort of honkiness to it. I, yeah, I think um, so. And I think, you know, John Williams uses them when he wants something to sound older as well. I think he uses um, double reeds for some of the Indiana Jones, like, relic older sort yeah, of motifs. Yeah, totally. Um, and also in uh, in Prisoner of Azkaban, uh, the yeah. sort of you know medieval sound of that, I yeah. think, stems largely from double reed instruments. Yeah, they, I, mean, I think I think the fact that as well in film music. Even by this point in history, in the 80s, they're pretty out of fashion and triply so today. Yeah. Um, it's very unusual to hear a double read. That's true. Anyway, look, here's, here's Conan's theme on, on the Cor Anglais. Again, in this riddle of steel cue where his father is, is sort of telling him about the gods of Cromer.
So yeah, really beautiful sort of simple presentation, you know, and like like the Chrome one that we heard on Oboe just before it, um, you know, is a world away from the huge romantic performance of it during the main title. He's just stripped it right back, really simple presentation saying sort of, you know, he, here it is. And you've got those swirling strings. Yeah. yeah. Um, the start of the film is uh, they're up on a mountaintop or something yeah. and uh, you've got the swirly strings. I mean, it, it feels like it's either a little bit of magic because he's telling a bit of a tale yeah. from old times but it also, you know, feels like it's swirly winds yeah. and, you know, so it's a nice little um, uh, juxtaposition of the, you know, really simply stated uh, Conan melody and then the sort of magic going and do on they, the does, does that kind of string ostinato change according to the harmony in the rest of the piece? It sounds to me like it's actually... Yeah, it does. Okay. It's sort of, you know, it's, uh, yeah. And then... Z- oh, okay, so it does shift. So, I mean, that's the only really thing filling in the harmony yeah. in that passage, but right. yeah. Mm. Um, it do, does shift around it's, there. It's subtle though, yeah. Yeah, it mm. is. And look, to be honest, we don't actually hear this Conan theme that often in the film, mm. maybe only about sort of three or four times. Um, but there's a great place in the film where, like the main titles, these themes kind of come together again. They kind of get presented back to back. Um, and I think this is after Conan's been tied up on that tree where he eats the <clears> pigeon <throat> or the vulture, whatever. Was it yeah, a vulture? Yeah. yeah, I think it's a vulture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we were practicing our, our Schwarzenegger um, under stress sounds. Sound, yeah. We decided that every film, Total Recall, yeah, yeah. True Lies, yeah, it doesn't matter. this film, yep. it's such probably a in unique. Junior somewhere when he falls over. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I don't think any other human uh, naturally makes that sound. No, no. yeah. <laughs> um, but look, sorry, um, I'm, I'm really ruining this setup. It's a beautiful <laughs> presentation um, when Conan gets wrapped in these kind of cloths and tattooed all over his face to kind of recover from this or from uh, death. Pretty much from death, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and again, starts on Koronglay, um, but with some, some much more kind of almost operatic style harmony from, from the strings. It's really quite beautiful. And you'll hear how it goes into Conan's theme in the second half. Isn't it interesting how the first half of that cue, it kind of feels like it's his burial. Hmm. It's all minor. It's really kind of down and somber. And then as soon as it goes into the... You know, Andrew's favourite chords. Yeah. All of a sudden, there's hope. There's yeah, life. Yeah, and, totally. and it's, you know, okay, he's going to be okay. Um, and it's all signposted through through the music. And it, and it constantly shows that Crom and Conan are intrinsically linked. Yeah. So, you know, there isn't – it's not a god who's sort of working against Conan per se. Mm. I mean, they talk about Crom being a he's – not, he's not a loving god. 
Mm. He's not a cruel god either, but I think if he thinks you're weak, he'll laugh at he's you. He's a tough I mean, god. Yeah, he's right. a tough guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it, it mm. just feels like with the way these melodies are written that Crom's theme just bleeds so beautifully into Conan's all the time and it just feels like they're part of the same world mm. yep. and that Crom must be working with him or looking over him the whole time. I, mm. Yeah, and, and especially in these moments. I mean, this is there's no sort of more perilous moment for Conan when he is dead. And they're Mm. trying to sort of get to ancient spirits um, Mm. to revive him. him. And I guess it sort of says that Krom is ultimately his hand is is in the mix here. Mm. You know. Uh, Now, what's interesting is that the only other time in the film when these two themes are mixed, it kind of does the opposite to what sort of harmonically is happening. So Krom's theme now gets a really big, royal, majestic kind of sense of harmony underneath it, and Conan's theme which is sort of plays after it, has zero harmony. In fact, it's like the whole orchestra in unison. And this is where Conan is defeating that last kind of henchman of, of Tulsa Dooms um, in that Battle of the Mounds. Yeah, it's real right, one of those, okay. come on, Arnie, do it, kind of moments, <laughs> you know. Um, this kind of scene made me want to like make a, make a fake sword at home. Um, so, yeah, ha- have a listen a about one. this interplay <laughs> here. I have a theory, Nick. Love theories. Is it, and I've only just thought of it now, so it could be a terrible theory. Uh, Is this potentially because this is the moment when Conan has his sword and he is kicking butt. He is, at the end of the day, discovered the, the answer to the riddle of steel. It's in action. So Krom's riddle of steel is being uh, played out at this moment. And therefore, the Crom melody is in its most glorious. And therefore, Arnie has, you know, sort of ascended and has, you know, sort of, I guess, fulfilled his destiny like, in a weird way. I got yeah. it. Yeah, I yeah. understand, I understand it. the yeah. riddle of skill. Time. And so, yeah. therefore, it's a singular. He now is not sort of conflicted and trying yeah. to achieve something and so on. It's a singular melody now that has no... Uh, you know, it's not trying to go places. He it has already have the arrived. Need, it doesn't have the need for the uplifting. Course, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, done yeah, yeah. he's already he got there. Wow. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I mean, like, I think you know, this film very much follows the hero's journey mm. that we've talked about so many times in this podcast. Uh, you know, and this is the real moment of him accepting his destiny, becoming the hero, seizing the sword, etc. Mm. And that's really, I mean, not just reflected in the combining of the the melodies and bringing it together, but I mean, in the orchestration, I mean, it's a unison trumpet and tuba, yeah. and, <laughs> like they're playing the same line. Mm. Yeah. It- they're all just, yeah, across yeah. the octaves mm. all yeah. together. Yeah. Which and it's the last time we hear Conan's theme. So maybe that's a perfect way to end his his kind of little journey. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. I mean, the, the whole film really, I mean, there are so many themes in the film, um, which are sort of hidden because it is a bit of a schlocky thing. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it is ultimately discovering that steel is weak mm. and that it's actually, you know, people 
who are more powerful than steel and they're the people who are wielding the steel and that's the ultimate sort of riddle of steel. And so that's really this whole journey is him discovering that what he was taught by his his parents and, you know, that they sort of worshipped swords and even Tulsa Doom, you know, mm. early on, um, we're going to talk about him later as well. Um, he's worshipping steel as well until he realises that actually steel is also weak. So it's all mm. these people discovering the answer to the riddle of steel throughout the entire film. Mm. Yeah, I like it. Mm. <laughs> anyway, we did it. So that's the end of the. Uh, yeah, <laughs> good, good. Stay tuned for yeah, next another case. Now, look, we've got to talk about the the love theme, which I love. <laughs> See yeah. what I did there? Yeah, um, that's good. But look, this to me is like a textbook example of how to write a love theme, and specifically of like of expressing like growth and connection through music. Because Andrew, I think we we said this after the film. Conan says, "Well, like." Two words. I, I think Valeria. I counted it up. It's five or six words okay. in total, and that includes probably four of them. <laughs> is when she first meets them when they're about to assault the same uh, or, or, or ascend the same tower where they're going to go mm. rob everybody. So two amorous words. Yeah, yeah. Like it's four <laughs> blunt. <laughs> it, he says doing? almost nothing to her. She yeah. says lots to him. She does, but it almost comes across as like monologuing. <laughs> yeah, look, look, musically. I mean. Have a listen to the way this theme plays out because it really has like three distinct sections. The first is really, um, it's really longing, it's unsettled. The harmonies are not sort of nice kind of resolved chords. They're kind of nights, it's sort of this... So, you know, there's a bit of melodic uh, sort of, you know, harmonic change, but the whole bass note has this really, it doesn't move. It has this constant C and the, the top oboe you'll hear, again, doesn't really move much. Um, then we have this sort of second bit where the harmony does move and it's you can, you can feel like the connection between them growing and it perfectly matches what they're doing on screen. You know, the start bit, they're sort of like, you know, they're slowly undressing themselves. It looks really kind of nervous. It's like a kind of first date sort of thing. Then as it kind of expands out... gets a bit more romantic they're sort of they're embracing it's a bit more kind of sensual and then at the very end you actually get a performance of of Conan's theme you know etc etc and musically it's the most romantic and you can see them they're like they're like splashing in the bath and sort of kind of laughing it's all done in a sort of montage sequence Mm. but They've made love, they've connected, and they're just sort of enjoying life together. And the music really signposts that along the way. And it's um, yeah, it's really nice. So let's let's listen to this cue called wifing and just see if you can hear those changes along the way.
There's just a real intermingling of those two themes, isn't there? Mm. It sort of just moves in and out and it's a really lovely cue. Yeah. And look, it continues with um, another scene where, you know, after Conan, uh, they go visit uh, Max von Sydow, King mm. Osric, who basically says, what, save my daughter from Tulsa Doom, bring Pretty her much. back. And yep. You can keep all these stones and rubies and stuff. Yep. Um, you know, when this happens, uh, Valeria kind of says to Conan, look, I don't really want you to go. Like, let's just run away now with all our jewels and, and live a happy life. So, um, you know, she really kind of pleads with him. And this is one of those scenes, Andrew, where Conan literally says nothing. He <laughs> doesn't say anything. Yet it's the music which is telling us what he's going to do mm. almost before we see it. Mm. You know, and after she does all this long monologue and pleads to him, he basically just holds up that serpent um, staff mm. head thing. And there's this massive orchestral swell and it really kind of, you can tell he's like, nah, I know you want to go off but I've got to do this. So here's a bit of a Valeria pleading and you'll, you'll again hear this sort of kind of longing, unsettled love theme of hers. And you know, it's not overly hopeful. You can almost feel that whatever she says isn't kind of going to work. And the mm. music really says that. You know, it's quite mm. quite minor um, in those tense nights. Mm. Um, but then, yeah, we get this really great swell, which which to me is like it's like destiny calling. It's like, nah, whatever's happening, I've I've just got to do this, and, and like nothing can stop it. And Arnie does nothing. He just sort of looks blankly into space, and then halfway through, kind of lifts up the serpent. But and the music is doing everything. We see Valeria lying in bed. She's just sort of left there, and again, lonely oboe. I mean, it pretty pretty tells you exactly what she's feeling, mm. um, you know. And and her her theme kind of plays out there. Um, but what's great, and this to me is one of those moments where it sort of does remind me of, of something that you'd hear in Lord of the Rings, where it then cuts to a brand new melody which doesn't play anywhere else in the film, and it's gorgeous. It just sort of comes out of nowhere, and it's like. Starting again, it's this realization, time for a journey, I've got to do this. And it's one of those great kind of traveling montage sequences. Um, I can't think of anything specifically in Lord of the Rings, but there's like those just those set pieces where it's all music and vistas mm. and someone on a horse moving and it's really telling you, you know, there's there's a sense of travel, um, maybe like a bit like you'd have in the Bond film sometimes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's yeah. just, yeah, it's really, it's lush, it's gorgeous and it screams of sort of, of hope and it really, it's, journeying music.
beautiful. It's nice, isn't it? Yeah. Is that hammered dulcimer or something? In yeah, there? yeah, totally. Goodness there's, me. A, there's a couple of sort of like <laughs> ethnic little touches in there, just yeah. to kind of give it a bit of flavour. Yeah, and it kind of reminds me of those lush bits in those. Fan- I mean, it's such '80s fantasy, like you know, like Dark Crystal mm, yeah. has those, that, that lush kind of gorgeous string writing. I mean, mm. so often in this film, it dips a toe into what I would call uh, more. Eastern Asian inspired mm. music. Yep. I mean, you've got those. I mean, but really, there's all these little Mongolian references throughout yeah. all of it. You know, like I especially mean, especially in the costuming as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, Subutai and the Very wizard. True. Subutai is, I believe, actually the name of Genghis Khan's one of his lieutenants. Oh, okay. And in fact, the uh, the paraphrase that you actually quoted right at the beginning of the episode, um, Nick, with the you know crush your enemies, etc. That's a paraphrased Genghis Khan quote. Is it really? Um, <laughs> okay. yeah. So yeah, there's. Lots of little Mongolian sort of Eastern sort of little tips of the hat. Yeah. Um, even when actually they start the Riddle of Steel, those opening chords of uh, sort of sound very Eastern. Mm, so yeah. it's mm. it's like they're they're sort of jumping around a little bit between sort of more Western medieval, European medieval vibe to yeah. sort of Eastern vibe. Mm. And I actually think that helps to not directly place it in one particular area. Mm, it's not yeah. here's a... Here's a sort of a pretty much a medieval thing um, in, 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 in Europe. But it sort of jumps between everything and now I don't really know where it is and I think that's sort of the point. So, Because yeah. uh, like that yeah. melody could be like, you know, an English pastoral Greensleeves. Yeah, kind of kind of flavor, but yeah, you get the 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 dulcimer and stuff, and it really yeah it does add that Asian influence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And then finally, we we get you know as this journey continues, um, almost like a, a transported version of of the Crom theme, and you will hear it kind of it's almost like um, Crom has gone into English pastures in, in sort of <laughs> greens leaves mode, um, and it's sort of he's taken that melody and just sort of made it more flamboyant, more lilting, and just more kind of romantic. Yeah, it's a really beautiful sequence, you know. Mm. Again, just no dialogue, just yeah. done all, all, all through music. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Um, I wanted to actually have a look at the Riders of Doom. So this is uh, Tulsa Doom's, I guess, henchmen. And they, of course, come in super early in the film uh, to go and cut up the, you know, Conan's village and uh, certainly all the inhabitants. Mm. Uh, and just to sort of quickly play their uh, particular theme, here it is.
Yeah, so I, I thought I'd start the track a little earlier than maybe we needed to because I actually mm. think those little fanfare trumpets yeah. are really interesting because yeah. it opens in a in a sort of you know a village. Everyone seems to be you know happy, and you get these little ba ba da ba, and. Even the way it sounds in the soundtrack, it's spatial, it's positional. It, it feels yeah. like the trumpets are coming from different areas within the, yeah. the orchestra. And, it, you know, it very directly feels like it's an invading army, but it's not an army that is directly in front of you. It's an army that has little, you know, little regiments yeah. in all the trees. You know, they're coming yeah. from everywhere. And it's almost like the trumpets are sounding to coordinate an attack. Mm-hmm. So you've got all these different people from different areas. Ba-ba, okay, ba-ba. Yeah. Etc. And you know, then they come in, and they are, uh, you know, I guess denoted by the choir mm. uh, sings over the top, and they're singing in Latin. And uh, before we sort of look at some of the influences here, I thought it would be interesting to sort of read or, or hear what they're actually singing. And unlike a lot of choral music that has uh, that's sung in Latin, often using religious text, this is not one of those religious texts. I read that they wrote the words in English first and then tried to translate them into Latin. Now, of course, Latin isn't mm-hmm. as um, <laughs> as translatable. As, as, yeah. yeah. as So, you know, they did their best to sort of rejig everything so that it came into to Latin, um, Latin words. However, uh, here, here are the, the lyrics. Uh, <laughs> swords, we seek swords, savage ones. We, iron kings, servants of doom, I guess Tulsa doom. Farewell heaven, farewell earth, farewell snow, we die. Farewell as servants of doom, we die. We seek savage swords, we iron kings, servants of fate, bringing deadly weapons sprung from the earth against the enemy in war. We control high-spirited horses, shaking their proud heads. Spirits of the dead give death and bitter grief to the enemy who must laid low. Hail Nevis, hail iron, hail weapons, hail gore, hail the fight, hail those who are about to die, Skylon. So, you know, quite... In um, Skyrim? In yeah, Skyrim. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our next video game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, quite a, quite a few people have asked for that. So, uh, yeah, anyway, it's, um, you know. They're pretty angry so guys. So they just, yeah. like, whack that into Google Translate, you yeah. know. Yeah, exactly. Printed out the result, gave yeah. it to the choir. Yeah. Awesome. Sing this. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> the what I think is interesting about this is that very early on in the film, I think it's either the narrator, it must be the narrator, says that, you know, Conan didn't know or the village didn't know why they were there. Were they there to, to for weapons or for, were they, or for murder or mayhem or whatever it is? And, you know, really you don't sort of find out what the deal is. But the choir is literally saying, we are here for your weapons <laughs> and we're going to kill you for them. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and this is, this is Tulsa Doom coming in and uh, trying to, well, before he has worked out the riddle of steel, um, going around just stealing weapons. Um, because steel is so valuable and and he's trying to find the the greatest swords. So, yeah, anyway, it's a really cool thing. However, this particular theme has been uh, by many uh, pointed out that it is very similar to a a piece of classical music called Carmina Burana by Karl Orff. And this, in terms of probably almost all classical music, is probably 
The one piece of music that all movie composers wish that they compose first. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's, um, it's really alluded to so often in so many films. It's used in, if you're in Australia, it's been used in the Carlton Draft ad. Mm-hmm. It's, it's used all the time. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, here is the first movement of Carmina Burana called O Fortuna. Fast folding a little bit. And then towards the end. Now, I wanted to play all of those sections of, of O Fortuna because it actually has elements of the Riders of Doom theme. So you have the, the choir that's sort of starting out a little bit uh, subdued, I guess, and there is a sort of an undercurrent in, um, in the accompaniment. Then there is a big, you know, glorious sort of, you know, it's quite, quite full on. But then there is a very major key moment. Now in, in Carmina Burana, it's right at the end of mm. the phrases. Uh, in this particular one, it's the yeah. so it's got those little major moments in there. Mm. However, I thought it, everyone always talks about the first movement. In fact, from Carmina Burana, I think most people would not know pretty t- much. Is it 24 yeah. movements? Yeah, or something there's a, there's like a lot. That. They pretty much would not know all the other 23. <laughs> yeah. um, well, in fact, the first movement is repeated at the end, so maybe they know two movements technically. <laughs> um, now, the second movement is actually really fantastic as well, and there are elements, again, that are sort of shared with the Riders of Doom. So here's um, here's the second movement of Carmina Brana to sort of give you a little more information of how these two are sort of quite similar. You've got those little fanfare trumpets over the top there as well. So it's all, um, it's a similar vibe for both of those those yeah. things. I mean, to be really fair on um, Basil Polidurus, I believe that once again, it was one of those sort of things that were asked by the director. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking more, of, you know, Carmina thing here. And so... Well, I think John Miller's actually wanted to use Carmina Burana. Yeah, And then as they were shooting the film, Excalibur came out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, John Borman, I think is the director, yeah. and used it. Yeah. So he's like, well... 
There's a <laughs> film with people on horseback with Camille Brainer just come out. Yeah. Shit, we can't use that. Yeah, Basil, yeah. can you write something that kind of sounds like it? I'm sure the conversation might have gone like that. Yeah, yeah, you know. yeah, definitely. But I mean, I, I think he does a really great job. He does. I mean, there's, there's a lot of uh, you it's, know, and it's the ostinatos, you know, like yeah. the um, just these kind of constant little passages. You know, that's a bit from Conan, but you can kind of hear the similarities in that last yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a repetitive undercurrent and then, you know, this sort of, um, yeah, quite modal chanting on mm. the, on top. The I mean, the, the thing that I would also add to this discussion, it, it, not specifically this part, but for the whole score, the thing that kept coming to mind when I was listening to it is a score that I don't think we've spoken about in so far. Uh, we might have, I don't know. Anyway, is... Um, a Prokofiev classic that is actually thematically similar to Conan the Barbarian in, in terms of what the film is about, which is Alexander Nevsky, uh, um, which yes, was yes. hugely influential for, well, for, you know, I mean, it, it's it's a Sergei Eisenstein classic period, the Russians fighting the Roman Teutonic Knights on the ice sort of film. Um, and, you know, some of the imagery, some of the helmets are actually quite visually similar to what we see in Conan. But I, I just wanted to play a little bit from the the most famous cue, the Battle of on the Ice, which is probably one of the most influential uh, action cues in, in film history, I think. So here's, here's a little excerpt from Battle on the Ice. Yeah, I mean it's pretty. Um, that's yeah, a I mean, that's a particularly full on section. Yeah, the bit from Conan where, mm. you know, when the the ladies are chanting right, right high. I mean, you can hear strains of that. Yeah. Yeah. Really high, kind of warbling. And but even that cue battle on the ice does have much more rhythmic elements to it. I mean, the whole cue's about. 12 mm. minutes long so we, we perhaps won't won't play all of it but I mean like I, I think there's there's definitely a yeah a, and Prokofiev a, I mean he's been yeah. so influential for so many oh, god so many film composers absolutely yeah um, you know and look, mm. look, my, my favourite bit of this whole Riders of Doom sequence is that it's this kind of passage with the these sort of harmonies uh, And I mean, it's really interesting because what he's doing is the cycle of fifths. And people mm. that don't know much about music harmony is that all the chords are connected. It's like some weird science language. <laughs> um, but when you go through basically intervals of a fifth, you end up coming back back home. So if I start on an F here and I just keep going down in fifths, I get back to F. So just going through that whole kind of cycle. And that's what he's done here. But the last two, he changes. And it actually sounds exactly the same from a similar passage in Vivaldi's Four Seasons. Yeah, so I'll, 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 I'll show you exactly what I mean. It's really interesting kind of, um, kind of comparison here.
I appreciate that you beat matched. It's the attention to detail, yeah. Nick, that I really appreciate. <laughs> yeah. But interesting, the, the Vivaldi one, um, it kind of is, is a bit more strict about the cycle of fifths. And so I thought it'd be interesting. I'll play you the, the, the bit from Conan if it was a strict cycle of fifths. <laughs> <laughs> so I've done a bit of auto tuning here. Wow. Oh, sounds God. horrible, but wow. see where it ends up. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So good, yeah, so good. I'm not sure what I'm trying to demonstrate here, but yeah. <laughs> I, look, I can safely Ooh, say this is the only <laughs> podcast in the history of the universe that yeah. has auto-tuned <laughs> and added a strong electric kick drum underneath, <laughs> underneath some uh, some Conan the Barbarian. This is phenomenal. Yeah, there you go. I love it. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, but so look, it's such it's such a great sequence. I mean, this. This to me really makes Conan, and they use it this kind of bit of music, you know, towards the end of the film, mm. you know, a couple of times throughout it, which is really, I mean, just because it's so good. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, shall we move on, Nick? Yes. Yes. Let's. Um, now, of course, we're we're still in the village, mm. and uh, there is that moment when Tulsa Doom turns up. And he gets off his horse and ends up sort of lopping off the head of, of um, Conan's mm-hmm. mother. And it's this really beautiful sequence. Um, the cue is called The Gift of Fury. And it's a little sequence here that I really enjoy. So I just wanted to sort of play this. And it uses a lot of the different elements that we've been talking about so far. So it's got the choir singing in Latin over the top. It's also got, importantly, a, uh, it's got Crom's melody, which we've heard already. And then a little later, we actually hear a little bit of Dies Irae, which mm. we talk about so often in this podcast. and uh, it, Which is basically the Day of Judgment yeah, kind of theme. Day of Doom, Day of Judgment. Basically, yeah, a musical signature of death, which has been used by countless composers yeah, for, absolutely. through the years. And I think if you, if you really, if this is the first time you're listening to this podcast and you want a little bit more of a, a full idea about what Dies Irae is, I believe mm. it is in our Jurassic um, Park, Jurassic Park yep, episode. Yep. So go check that out. And um, Dan uh, wonderfully puts in show notes onto um, every single episode. Yeah. So you can actually fast forward straight to that Dies Irae bit and, and sort of mm-hmm. understand a little more how it works. Um, so we won't spend much more time talking about what Dies Irae is. So let's just listen to this particular track, Gift of Fury. There's a sort of open fourths and fifths and, you know, sort of like a, almost yeah. like a gladiator. Yeah, almost. Yeah. And yeah. they're getting down off their horses and they're approaching young Conan and his mum. Mm. Mm. And we see Tulsa Doom for the first time.
So we also get Crom's theme comes in there, and yeah, everything's sort of intertwined yeah. throughout all of and that. And the, the words that they're sort of intoning there actually translate to "Behold, now is the day of the father." Behold, now is the day of the mother. And it's interesting because his father's just been killed. His mother's about to be killed. So that's mm. sort of ironic. Well, mm. it's, it's not a very good day for, <laughs> for them. Um, but this final sequence where Tulsa Doom comes right up, we do get this Dear Zero theme. And interestingly, the bit that the choir sings just after it basically translates to, he rules us, he saves us, he rules us, he saves you. And which is really important because it's at the very end of the film, Tulsa Doom, just before he's killed by Conan, kind of says to him, you know, like, I made you. As if like yeah. my, my killing of your village and your father and mother gave you purpose in life. So it's interesting that the lyrics are sort of hinting at that so early on. And would you believe, Dan, mm. that hidden in there is the DSRA? You may have missed it. Mm. It's subtle. It is yeah. very subtle. It's well, it's it's really overt, but it is hidden because the harmony is 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 changing on every single note. But it is right. there, plain as day. And it's mm. just yeah. before he swings the sword, mm. which I think is quite good in terms yeah. of your idea of it being a um, you know a sort of a imminent foreboding coming. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's just that it's a bit on the really high strings. That sort of plays rather yeah. tight. So, yeah, it's really fantastic. And, I mean, before we sort of move on to some other DSRA moments here, mm. um, I mean, Tulsa Doom is supposed to be the last of his race. So he's supposed to be a really ancient being. Mm. I mean, he's sort of like a snake guy, hence the, the whole snake cult that is mm. around him. Uh, but... And, and and they even sort of talked about in a um, a making of that I saw that they specifically gave him blue eyes. Yeah. Um, that's not normally you know James Earl Jones eyes, mm. and he has very straight, very long hair that doesn't look like it sort yeah. of really matches what it should be. The whole time to sort of try and make him feel just that little bit otherworldly, and I think it is really the music mm. where you've got that old language of Latin being sung. It's right down in the register. It's not sort of a big. It's you know. It's sort mm. of quite primal again. Yeah. And this is a guy who has been around for a long time. Mm. Um, and once again, as that you know, as he he um, uses the sword on Conan's mother, that his sort of sound comes back in again. And like mm. you said, it's almost like the, uh, you know, sort of angels, but, you know, dark angels sort of saying, yeah. you know, proclaiming this is what has happened to you with this ancient yeah. being. So, and yeah, it's, it's a cool moment. a beautiful sequence because well, there's, yeah. there's no dialogue and it's just, it's really slow moving kind of stuff and it's not that evil. It's almost, there's a beauty well, to it yeah. in, in, in the horrificness of it all. I think it's an excellent introduction to, well, it's character building, but it's also an extra, excellent introduction to what kind of film this is because you, there are many films where the lead character's parents get killed in the opening and, you know, you could imagine a film where 
the villain just walks up and stabs the mother. But instead, what we have in this film is the sword is passed from somebody off screen to someone who then passes it to somebody else who then passes it to Tulsa Doom. And I think it's sort of like, you know, the camera lingers at each moment. It's sort of like, oh, okay, this is the kind of film we're getting where we're getting a build-up of three different people necessary to handle the sword before the murder is committed. And it's sort of, and you it's, know... It's the father's sword. And at the very end of the film, it's actually the one that breaks yes. when Conan's battling and he actually uses it to lop Tulsa yeah. Doom's head off. Mm. Thus proving that steel is weak because it breaks. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And, uh, but and also it's the, it's the sword that is forged in the opening prologue. Yeah. So that sword mm. that they're they're actually making when all of the credits are rolling at the top, uh, you know, is is that sword. So it's this sort of this lineage of this weapon coming through, which is an old fantasy idea yeah. where you you yeah. really are very interested in the the and lineage of things. Do you think Tulsa Doom uses Conan's father's sword to kind of say, "Well, this sword is now mine. I am I'm now your father," sort of thing? Mm. Is there a bit of symbolism there? You think? I think so. Yeah, mm. that's why he uses it. I mean, he he obviously. Feels because he, they don't kill any of the children, which is sort of interesting. And given that they then are all led to the wheel of pain to go and grind whatever it is on this mill, mm. uh, you know, you would have imagined that men, you know, a- adult men would have been far more effective out of this <laughs> if that's what all you were after. Mm. So it's interesting that he's choosing children to keep alive. And I think it, really there is that little bit of sort of God complex that yeah. he wants all his children with him to come it's and the cult. you know the yeah. cult yeah. yeah coming around so yeah I, it's 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 messed up but you know and <laughs> and I think Dan you were you were uh, saying it perfectly anything else I've seen whether it's the Batman thing where the parents are killed mm. you know you linger on the parents being killed yeah and then finally you you move to them but this entire shot you don't see the mother really you see mm. her um, you know standing but. Mm. Um, it's on Conan the whole time. So as everything's happening, you just look at Conan. Mm. And I think that is very telling for what sort of, you know, tale they're trying to tell here. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Anyway, cool moment. Yeah. And look, the Dia Zero does come back a couple of times. Um, quite a different presentation in the uh, Battle of the Mound sequence. A great little kind of almost like a brass fanfare heroic Dia Zero, which is yeah, interesting. And that's a very bold playing. I think that, you know, that's clear enough there that anybody who's paying half attention who knows what the DOC area yeah. is, is going to, their ears are going to prick up. Yeah. Yeah. It's that mm. kind of I mean, there. and really it's the, the day of judgment coming for the bad guys. Mm. In this moment, yeah. it's not coming for Conan. Yeah, and I mean, also, you know, the the DCRA is kind of like fate as well as doom. Ah, uh, you're and right. So you're right. know, yes. it's also like I think the fulfilling. You know, as yeah. we're starting to see the fulfilling of the heroic journey. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, look, I think there's no more better presentation of it than at the very, very end of the film, once Conan has kind of lopped off the head, and he's all the I guess these followers, these cult followers of Tulsa Doom, all throw their torches into the into the the pool, and basically. Like go back to their normal life in a mm. way, and we get a really beautiful presentation with choir and and sort of rolling clarinet and and harp. Um, but the most probably the most melodic and beautiful version of a Diaz era I've, I've ever heard. Um, probably not even even a film, maybe to just ever. It's really really <laughs> something else.
And if you told me that was written by Morricone or something, yeah. I'd be like, yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> it just has that really kind of European, yeah. hymn-like. Doesn't sound Hollywood. No, no, no. You know? I, look, I don't think a lot of this score does actually. No, yeah, no. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's not just because it was recorded in Rome; it avoids a lot of the cliches. Yeah, mm. and I and I think it's you know it's female voices; it's not male mm. voices on it. Um, it has that arpeggiated strings, bum 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 bum. Yeah, and I think that there, in a way, it's that that sort of feeling of something has lifted. Mm. And I think that's helped yeah. by the the rising and falling of of the uh, the, the harp and, yeah. and strings and so on. And even all the chords, yeah, yeah. do a similar thing. They're really kind of yeah. close and stepwise. It's very religious. Yeah. yeah, very religious. I mean, it does feel like it's part of a requiem. So you know, a, a uh, piece of music for the dead, but. Often the DSRA is used in a sort of far more foreboding and, mm. and so on. This feels like it's it's much later in the requiem when we've we've dealt with the death. They're yeah. now ascending to heaven. Um, this is the they're followers. In, they're in Elysium. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. I mean, yeah. You know, the, the followers here. I mean, I guess what's insinuated with all of it is that that Tulsa Doom had them all under some kind of spell. Yeah, you know, right. like um, uh, which is I think they also allude to it with Conan's mother because she's a fierce warrior it looks like and then he just stares at her and then she puts her sword down yeah that's true so i think the they never really go into it but i think tulsa doom's whole deal is that he sort of has people under his spell yeah. he attempts it on conan he 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 stares him in the eye you get that real close up yeah. shot of him and he, you know he tells the, the that girl up on the cliff come yeah. child and she yeah, just, yeah 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 she jumps, jumps off yeah. the cliff and kills and herself. i think that's you know the the thing that has lifted has been the spell and yeah. so, because if you think about it from a logical point of view, the fact that you've just killed the cult leader and then all the cult people go, oh, well, chuck their stuff in the water and then walk away, mm. that's not the response of people who've just had their leader killed. Mm. So I always see it as they sort of come to and just realise what on earth has just happened. You, you know? cut off the head of the snake. Yeah, well, yeah. there we go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. And, um, you know, then, the, like I said, the spell is lifted and, and then you get this plane of the deus here, eh? the fate, but... A um, ascending and and the lifting of everything. So mm. yeah, really beautiful. It's mm. good, Great, isn't it? Now uh, I uh, we've got a whole bunch of so that that's really it for the I guess you'd call it the the most the recurring themes recurring themes. Yeah. yeah. So um, let, let's move into some of the the moments throughout this uh, the rest of this score that of I which think there are, are many of which there are many. Yeah. Like just just great musical set pieces. Yeah. Mm. Um, some some nice little moments here, and we have heard a little bit of this, and that is the the wheel of pain. And I thought, given that we have spoken about ostinatos before, which is a reoccurring um, melodic pattern that goes, you know, sort of repeats around and around. And um, there's a wonderful example of this in The Wheel of Pain. Uh, you'll hear down in the lower section of the orchestra this uh, repeating uh, phrase uh, for The Wheel of Pain. And, of course, representing the wheel going around and around. And there's actually two versions of it. It starts with one version of the ostinato and then moves to a slightly different one. But it just feels like this thing is just turning and turning. And uh, you'll also hear some really interesting um, or unusual use of percussion in this. You'll hear, uh, well, chains being sort of dropped, which I guess is sort of directly related to what's going on the screen. But you also um, have uh, big gongs, so massive pieces of metal being scraped with uh, metal triangle beats so what mm. you would normally hit a triangle with, you're <laughs> scraping it down the middle and you'll hear that as well. Uh, so here it is, uh, the Wheel of Pain. 
our ostinato shifts. And through every shift, Conan sort of grows up. Yeah, you know, like, or at yeah. least you see his legs growing up. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's like yeah, th- yeah. through through the modulations of the orchestra. Yes, he's like five years older. Yeah, yeah. and and what I like about the the first ostinato is um, sounds very grounded. It is rotating around, but it's sort of grounded. And then it moves to something that is more syncopated. It goes, boom, 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 boom. Uh, uh, uh. And all of the, uh, except for the first one, mm. um, all of the other beats come off the beat. And I always have felt that this is representative of the wheel is now sort of moving with a little more purpose. Yeah. Conan is getting bigger. Um, those off beats are driving it forward now. Mm. Yeah. Whereas before the wheel is sort of just turning and everyone's walking. And mm. and, and you know, even like the, the first <laughs> ostinato kind of always goes up and then down. Trudging. Dun, dun, yeah. dun, Whereas the second step, one has a step. And we're pushing now. It's rising too. Yeah, mm. yeah. it's great. A little, a little side note here, just a little behind the scenes thing. So apparently that wheel that they built mm. was so beautifully balanced. <laughs> like they built it so well yeah. that it only took, you know, the, the weakest arm to just push it and it would wow. swing really fast. Wow. <laughs> so apparently... I'm just picturing the outtakes of Arnie pushing like falling flat. Yeah, yeah. and that's, that's essentially what happened. So what they had to do is get a team of other people on the other side, out of camera oh, shot, no working against him uh. so that he could really push into it and look like he's pushing this thing. Um, and then, you know, there's probably one Arnie and, you know, 20 other you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. dudes on the other side trying to sort of make it look like he's straining. <laughs> 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 Anyway. This thing. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it's a, a really cool thing because you still have that that sort of skipping melody over the top yeah. mm. that sort of feels of the time, yeah. for want of a better term. And um, at no That's point great. does Arnie ever feel or this, does this melody ever sort of tell you that he is his spirit is being broken. Yeah. It's in fact he's getting stronger. Yeah, yeah. It's, t- it's, it's hard work. It's tough. You can yeah. feel the the laboriousness of it, but yeah. it's growing. Yeah, that, I mean that's what the syncopation does. I yeah. think you know that yeah. it, it provides him with his own agency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now something which isn't pained at all um, is a melody that I love, and it's really the first time. It's kind of the first light-hearted moment of the entire film, and this is where um, Arnie meets the surfer. Uh, Jerry Lopez, <laughs> yeah. um, the character of Subatai. Mm. And what we get is this really gorgeous little moment where they're just sitting by the campfire talking about religion, theology, and then they kind of become, you know, buddy up and go on a little journey to the, I guess, like the township. They're only really glimpse of civilization. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the melody is this really beautiful thing on um, sort of harp and bassoon, and um, I'll, I'll play exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> Thank you. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'd love this one. It's, it's, I mean, it's a straight up dance. Yeah. You know, yes, it's in three, it's a waltz, but, or at least it's a, you know, in, in three, four, most waltzes are that, or mm. all waltzes yeah. are waltzes. Uh, they're but kind of, they're kind of courting each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In a friendly and, yeah. way. Um, yeah. But I also think that, you know, with so many other examples we've looked at over the course of these episodes, that um, often things in three give a lightness as well, straight yeah. away. You know, it doesn't feel heavy, it doesn't feel like a strained relationship, uh, it feels easy. You know, and uh, like yeah. you said, yeah, they're sort of courting because they sort of are courting each yeah. other. They, and, it, and like you know, it opens with pretty static harmony, as if like they kind of not draw each other. Mm. You know, and then once the melody starts, it's 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 just beautiful chords. Again, that sort of English-inspired pastoral yeah. thing, but mm. with enough sort of yeah, Eastern influences in the little finger symbols and stuff to make yeah. it feel that that mix that you were talking about. Yeah, earlier. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the other thing I was thinking of is that we were discussing, you know, the use of double reeds to make music sound older in film music. And I mean, the other thing is that I think whenever anything wants to be sort of dated or middle ages or anything like that is to have uh, a, a tambourine be the primary yeah. source of, <laughs> of the rhythm, um, which it is there, especially that... Um, yeah. Like that sort of sound is um, very much, I think, to modern audiences, casts their mind back. And it's very folky. Yeah. It's yeah. very folky. I mean, the person he's met is not a, you know, a rich person or a powerful person. It's a, it's a peasant mm. at yep. the end of the day. Yes, he's a thief. A thief. He's a thief. He a thief. But, you know, he's just, he's just a simple guy. And so you get a simple melody. Yeah. At the end of the day, Conan is sort of simple. And, and so you, you actually have this sort of um, this friendship thing. Yeah. For want of a better term, oh, I think it's a perfect theme for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then when it kind of gets lush and they actually go on a bit of a more travelling journey, um, you know, we hear it presented on strings. And it really takes off, and it's it takes that little cute waltz into a, a more lush presentation. I'm also hearing uh, Howard Shaw there as well with the Hobbits music, you know, yeah, that sort yep, of very yep. pastoral. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Mm. Yeah. Again, look, friends going yeah. off on a journey. Yeah. 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 You know, totally. And starts small, folky, opens up wide mm. as, the, as the camera's <laughs> vistas open up wide. Mm. Um, yeah. It's perfect, isn't it? Yeah. Um, one cue which I think is really important is the kitchen. This is the scene where Conan and, and his mates put on that great face paint and they basically break into Tulsa Doom's palace. Yeah, uh, I guess. What palace. would you call it? Yeah, place. Yeah. But the music is almost identical to the attack on the village at the start, yet this time the roles are kind of reversed. So Conan and his friends are like the hoarders coming in, breaking in, pillaging and killing everyone. And the music is sort of saying the same thing. So it's really interesting. It's like the villain's music, but the hero's kind of journey. Mm. Mm. 
Yeah. I, I sort of when – I, when I see the visuals with that music, it's like I, I pick up more on all the positive qualities of the music. I don't hear those sort of death mm. and doom oppressive qualities because I know I'm sort of rooting for these guys. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's really interesting. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, sort of musical collision there. Um, now, of course, what they're breaking into is an orgy. <laughs> it's a whole heap of semi-naked people not really having sex but just sort of looking a bit writhing stoned yeah they're yeah. all like just sort of writhing in each other's ecstasy I, I suspect it's probably uh, a ratings issue uh, <laughs> despite okay. all the all the violence and beheadings and blood yeah. uh, the American system in particular <laughs> is a lot more restrictive on uh, sex well this this movie initial rating was X yeah wow. and well, then they um, did a whole bunch of re- I think they resubmitted two or three times right. to finally get it down to R yeah okay. <laughs> so one can only Imagine what was going on in this yeah, room uh, yeah, before. Yeah. Anyway, there we go. Yeah. So. And if, I think we, we were both laughing in the cinema the other day, Andrew, when there's that guy with like the kind of bondage leather face mask just stirring this massive pot of yep. green goop. Yeah, soylent, <laughs> soylent green soup. Yeah. 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 I don't know, is it like is like that dinner for everyone? Yeah, is I mean, it? I think this is the point is that you discover <laughs> in this moment that the um, the snake cult, mm. the cult of Set or whatever they call it, yep. is, uh, is is a, a cannibal cult yeah um which i guess fits the whole snake idea uh, well that's not a cannibal thing but that's you know eating, <laughs> eating you know flesh yeah. or whatever not to um, cast aspersions on snakes yeah yeah, yeah. sorry snake <laughs> our snake listeners um but the yeah this is the sort of moment because when, when they're going through you know to to find where everyone is they actually go through what amounts to like a little butchery and mm, there's yeah. humans like being strung up like it's like cattle carcasses okay. mm. um which are all pretty disturbing I, I never picked this up when i was a kid i didn't pick it up i didn't night, i didn't <laughs> <laughs> tell what any of this was, but there's hands in the soup, oh, and there's lovely. a there's a head when they when Conan so, upends the soup. Oh, and, lovely, yeah. Anyway, so that's Delicious. a yeah, it's a lovely yeah. Soylent Doom. Yes. Soylent Doom. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Okay, um, and we get yet another kind of waltz in a queue called the orgy, which is so optimistically happy. This like the music is just it could be like if this was another film of people in ball gowns dancing, it wouldn't feel out of place. <laughs> I see, Lady Verona. May I have this dance? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can really see a... Just, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah um, there's not even a hint of sort of off-kilter... No, it's just straight up lovely waltz kind of yeah. thing. there you go. Um, and just one other bit I want to play because um, I always thought it's odd that on the soundtrack it always had written by Basil Polidurus and Zoe Polidurus. I thought, oh, uh, maybe his daughter's a composer. Then I found out that while he was writing it, his daughter kind of heard him either playing on his piano or sequencer or whatever and came in on the recorder sort of playing three <laughs> notes on top of it and he decided to take these three notes and put them on, on, on the horns, on sort of eight French horns. So um, this is a another bit later in the queue um, where you'll hear basically this sort of counter line go and that that's it. So that, that's Zoe's contribution, but wow. I thought it was really interesting. Lovely. And it opens with what we call a hemiola, 
which is where we have kind of twos against threes. So we go one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three. It's sort of, yeah, it's almost like a rhythmic offsetting just at the beginning, which is, is kind of interesting. Extraordinary, really. Yeah. Like, I mean, you can kind of, I mean, I can imagine the daughter coming in on the, the record. Like, it sounds like they were having fun when they wrote that piece. <laughs> but, yeah. but at the same time, there's a real sophistication to that where I can imagine that being performed credibly in a concert hall. Yeah. With very little, you know, no real film association and sort of be like, oh, yeah, this is a piece that's developing. It's kind of Bolero-like in a way. Yeah, it's sort of hypnotic. And I sort of yeah. wonder if all the kind of the orgy people sort of spaced out their writing. <laughs> it's sort of just like a... It's like a slow build. It's like a. Yeah. It's like an impending orgasm. <laughs> there <laughs> through, it is through music. That, we've that, already it. got. We've already got the rating. Um, yeah. Oh, we'll just go. Uh, the whole, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, That <laughs> is that is that is Conan's musical okay. orgasm. Okay. <laughs> um, here's a question for both of you. Do you yeah. think this is source music? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting the ongoing discussion of them trying to figure out what music is in this world. I mean, does a waltz, which is, you know, associated with a slightly more musical sophistication or a musical culture, right? Does that exist in this otherwise culturally quite unsophisticated world? Mm. Um, and the answer, I mean, like, I can't really imagine a, anything like an orchestra existing in this world, but I feel like the characters are nonetheless still hearing it. Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, it could just be the way it, it looks, but mm. it does feel like there is a soundtrack going yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. Because um, anyway. there's a lot, of, it creates a lot of anticipation because it just kind of builds on the one idea, yeah. mm. and they're kind of sneaking up really slowly. It's yeah, I know what you mean. Mm. Anyway, um, now our good little friend, the wizard, which is sort of the wizard slash the narrator, played by Mako, um, he gets a little kind of cute motif towards the end of the film. Um, have a listen, especially what makes it is the strings play collegno, which is where they basically hit the strings with the wood of their bows and it creates this sort of percussive tapping effect. kind of comical as well yeah mm. i mean it really does give that eastern flavor doesn't it yeah it's sort of you know right away saying that you know this is an ancient oriental wizard yeah you know, i guess yeah. yeah i mean it helps and he's kind of a goofy he's a bit kind of bumbling yeah sort of a bit, yeah, he's got yeah. that weird armor yeah he's a great character though i really like it i think as well i mean um, the whole film really i think you know milius 
when he fell in love with film, he fell in love with film because he uh, the myth is that he went to an old cinema and found some Kurosawa films playing. And I think you can really see that in the sort of mismatched buddy heroes and these eccentric supporting characters, particularly in this wizard. You know, this is the kind of thing that you have in, in like Hidden Fortress, um, you know, yeah. any, any given Kurosawa film really. It's a real sort of f- flavour of his style. Mm. So, yeah, interesting to see it turn up here. Uh, now, there are a, a, another couple of really cool little moments, Nick, and that, of course, is early on in the film when uh, Conan is a pit fighter, is like a gladiator. Yeah, yeah. Um, sort of against his will. Yeah. Just because he's yeah, got yeah. huge biceps. Yep. <laughs> but, you know, I think the director thought any chance to hear Arnie go, yeah, yeah. Um, we get this cue for the pit fights, which uh, I'll play it, but then we'll talk about it because it really feels like there are similarities to it's harking back to something earlier you know sort of in the 1950s I'll give you a clue It does ring a bell, Nick. Mm. I think Dan is is the most knowledgeable of this sort of <laughs> particular fifties era. Yeah, well, I mean, like it's it's Miklos Rosa. I think is is the the, the influence the influence to mm. so a, a lot of this kind of ancient sounding Roman really you know effect. Yeah. Exactly. Just that, yeah, fourth fifth open harmony kind of. Progressive up and down, yeah, you know. Absolutely, and and I theme. think the clearest link is is Ben Hur here. Yeah, uh, from yep. the galley, the galley music. Yeah. Not just with the harmony, but with the giant swells. Yes. yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like you can hear them rowing. Yeah. You know, it's it's like it's kind of trying to gather strength, but it's it's tough. It's tough going. Yeah. It's almost like two Ben Hur cues combined. It's like yeah. some of the the more sort of um, parade of the chariots. Yeah, parade of yeah. the chariots combined with the Roman galley mm. uh, put together those two elements together, and you have the pit yeah. um, pit fight. <laughs> Uh, sequence so mm. yeah that's a really that's uh, a cool one that one yeah. I like that mm. one um, and another one is that sequence uh, it's called the mountain of power where basically Conan um, puts on the the white robe you know as if he'd blend in this huge <laughs> Schwarzenegger guy yeah. um, and basically joins all the followers of Tulsa Doom in this kind of procession up the mountain of power um, and again we get a very sort of yeah sword and sandal epic from the 50s kind of vibe going on in the music here Yeah. 
I think actually those chord changes are the same as the Parade of the Charioteers. The the way really, that yeah. the harmony shifts up. Is it a minor third every time? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that. that's, yeah, very, very, um, <laughs> yeah, Ben-Hur. But, I mean, you know, just to show that uh, Miklos Rosa wasn't just a one-hit uh, <laughs> one, one composer, which he certainly wasn't. But, I mean, you know, in the similar vein, here's an excerpt from El Cid, which is, I think, one of his most underrated but totally fantastic scores, which is doing similar things. I mean, what we have there in particular is, you know, the real, uh, at least where it sounds most Roman is the real pedal, yeah, know, unmoving bass. Uh, bass, yeah. Yep. And just, yeah, brass fanfares and sort of fourths and fifths. I mean, we've yeah. said it many times, but it's really, it's almost like by stripping away bits of harmony and chords and, and ninths and sevenths and all that kind of stuff mm. back to, the, the, you know, the essential elements of, of, of music. You know, start with one note, build an octave, build a fifth build the fourth you know and they're, they're your sort of like your harmonic overtone series mm. it's, it's kind of reducing it back to that as a yeah. way of sort of the further you, you strip away <laughs> it's like kind of stripping back centuries of, of music history mm. it's your power chords on yeah. guitar yeah. <laughs> so we're saying uh, uh, rock guitarists haven't progressed beyond uh, oh look there I think no are they, they're actually they're, writing music from the 1300s yeah <laughs> so they just don't know it yeah yeah <laughs> it's, it's tapping into the elemental power of the, of the, the fourth fifths. and fifths yeah. yeah I mean you can hear that cue like yeah played yeah. on rock guitars yeah Like, yeah, the one time we, we didn't bring the electric guitar into Damn the it. studio. Yeah. Uh, I would love to go to a metal gig of Conan music. <laughs> Let's do a live oh screening God. of it with a Surely metal that's happened. Oh, I it had feel to like, have happened. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there, there is no way that that opening theme, the Crom theme, yeah. would not have been played by a metal band. Yeah, surely. <laughs> surely. Uh, anyway, yeah. Um, you know what I love about all of this as well, just as a little side note, mm. that, um, that Conan gets carded at every single checkpoint. And he has to pull out his snake medallion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, no, no one else is getting carded. And he's like constantly having to prove that he's yeah, legit. Yeah. Yeah. I got yeah. my ID, man. Yeah. 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 It's so funny. They're not checking anyone else. Just yeah. Him. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, look, I think a good spot really to end is actually with the, the final cue and the final moment in the, in the score, um, which is really a cue called The Awakening, um, as Arnie piffs that little tiny bowl of fire up to a stone building, mm. which then suddenly bursts into flames. Yes, does the the, the hammer throw? But he does yeah. the hammer throw. It's it's a real Olympic moment. Yeah, that, it isn't is, it? Isn't it? Yes. I mean, you know what's really weird yeah. about this is that I mean, you and I both laughed out loud when it happened <laughs> because it looks so amazing. He's swinging the thing around. You're like, oh, yes, it's yeah. going to be great, and you're expecting it to fly into where um, Tulsa Doom was standing, mm. of which there are <laughs> curtains. Yeah. All yeah. sorts of flammable stuff is up there. It doesn't go there though. Yeah. It just hits the steps. And yeah. sort of just rolls off to the side, yeah. like, and, oh. then, the, and yeah. then the whole place bursts into flame. Yeah. Why is it that they couldn't just say, "No, do it again"? You need to land it into the place. With Maybe the they did. Maybe that was like the seventieth take, and they're like, "You know what, Arnie? That's that'll that'll do." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Back to the trailer. <laughs> it's such a, it sort of takes the wind out of that moment because it sort of just clangs. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's funny. It's I, like, I yeah, when he piffs Tulsa Doom's head and it just sounds like a plastic bucket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, like, oh, it sounds like a stack hat. Yeah, it sounds like it's a stack hat on. Yeah, <laughs> is that an Australian thing? Uh, I think it could maybe. be. We yeah. mean a, an old-fashioned bicycle helmet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In case yeah. that doesn't translate. <laughs> um, anyway, so look, let's listen to the Awakening cue, um, and it's we're actually going to segue into a bit of Stravinsky because it really takes a, a clear inspiration um, from the very end of Stravinsky's music for the Firebird, mm. um, which really has like a a, a pedal held string tremolo chord just going la, 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 and these big broad brass chords you know real noble powerful yeah. finishing with a final swell and it's I mean they both do exactly the same thing so you'll hear um, yeah this is the awakening going into the very end of the Firebird <laughs> The Firebird. I mean, the Firebird's got to be one of the greatest symphonic endings ever written. Yeah. So to sort of crib from that is, you know, there's worse things to do, I think, as a <laughs> composer. It's a great glorious ending mm. to, the, to the film. Mm. I think, did we make it, guys? I think we might have. We did. We got there. Yeah. We, we discovered the riddle of steel. And we yeah. got our revenge. <laughs> <laughs> so that brings us to the end of our analysis of Conan the Barbarian. I had a really fun time. I hope you enjoyed yourself as well. And if you did, go ahead and press subscribe. Write us a review on iTunes. Um, write us a review on uh, or even any comments underneath any of our posts. So on uh, Facebook, on Twitter, on uh, Instagram. Uh, we love hearing from everybody. We really like to interact with our listeners. And if you'd like to send us an email, Nick, where do they need to go? They need to go to contact at artofthescore.com.au. And we definitely, well, it sounds like I'm about to be sarcastic. No, we read every single email. Yeah, we do. So we, um, we really appreciate you guys getting in touch. And, uh, and we'd love to. Geeking out especially. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a lot of fun because, you know, really we're just a whole bunch of, I know we sound cool. <laughs> I know I sound cool, Dan. Yeah. But I'm just a nerd like you. Well, Nick, Nick, Nick sounds cool after his, you know, sort of dubstepping of Conan earlier. That was amazing. popping in a bit of auto-tune. That's, That's the, the coolest stuff we've ever done. That's going down as one of my favourite moments in yeah. the school so far. <laughs> So, guys, until next time, I'm Andrew Pogson. That's Dan Golding. Pleasure as always. And he's Nicholas Buck. I am. <laughs> that was like Arnie. And this was Art of the Score.